Happy Friday, folks. I'm Peter LaRuffa, and welcome to Between the Lines on this Friday, January 20th, 2017. This past Sunday was a special day for a number of reasons. You may or may not be aware that that day marked the 8th anniversary of U.S. Airways Flight 1549 splashdown into the Hudson River. On January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport in New York City en route to Charlotte, North Carolina, when it encountered what's known as a bird strike, which is just that, a collision between birds and an airplane. I'm told this is not actually unusual, that airplanes and birds actually collide quite often. In fact, back in September, a flight I was on was delayed due to a bird strike that occurred when our aircraft was inbound. But in this particular case, eight years ago, Flight 1549 struck a large flock of what I think were Canadian geese, which actually caused both engines to fail in the middle of the initial climb. The captain and first officer took inventory of their options, and Captain Sullenberger made the call to ditch the plane in the frigid January waters of the Hudson River, since effectively gliding back to LaGuardia Airport or over to Teterboro or Newark airports would simply not be possible. There were 150 passengers and five crew members on board that day, and two of the 155 survivors are members of our family. My wife's father and uncle were both on board Flight 1549, having been in New York City on business and were headed home on that flight when God, in his mercy, spared their lives along with the 153 other passengers on board. And that makes this edition of Between the Lines just to give you a glimpse of what our family thinks about and what comes to our family's mind when January 15th rolls around. In fact, this past Sunday, I referenced it in a sermon I preached to our high school students as we looked at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews tells us to lay aside the weight and sin which clings so closely in order to run the race that is set before us and to do so with endurance. It's a well-documented fact that when people survive an airplane crash, while one would think the most important thing to do is to get to safety, people reach for their bags. In fact, I once read of a plane that crash-landed in California when police officers arriving had to stop passengers from, listen to this, running back into the burning plane to retrieve a bag or item that was left on board. And the point of the illustration was this. The writer of Hebrews doesn't tell us to look to Jesus, but to also look back on those listed in the proverbial Hall of Faith in the previous chapter. The writer of Hebrews doesn't tell us to run the race that is set before us, but to take with us other things in which we place our hope and trust. Instead, we're told to lay aside the sin, lay aside the weight, and fixing our eyes upon Jesus to run the race with endurance. Regardless of what the contents are, don't let your baggage get in the way of fixing your eyes on our Lord and Savior and running with endurance. And so I take this opportunity to give thanks and glory to God for having provided just the right people at just the right time in just the right way so as to save the lives of all on board Flight 1549, not the least of which were David Graham and Mike Kolmansberger. Dave, Mike, we love you both very much and are glad you're still with us today. Sunday was also Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, a day that came into existence at the proclamation of former President Ronald Reagan on January 22, 1984. That was the 11th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, which declared the murdering of the unborn a constitutional right based on the 14th Amendment. 
It should come as no surprise to you that during the last presidential election, I, perhaps like you, found myself involved in numerous conversations surrounding the candidates and the issues. There was one particular discussion I found rather intriguing. I serve as a board member of a ministry that seeks to promote abstinence education and longs to see the murdering of the unborn ended once and for all in our country and world. When it comes to the issue of the sanctity of human life, I'm about as conservative as you can be. I was asked if I thought it to be imbalanced or perhaps inconsistent that when someone references the sanctity of human life, it's the unborn that are typically in view. Sometimes the lives of the elderly are included, but there are a whole bunch of people in between the uterus and the aged that are typically forgotten or worse, referred to in ways that are inconsistent with one who emphasizes the fact that all people are created in the image of God. In other words, it's not uncommon for someone to be pro-life when it comes to the unborn, but then also get excited about the idea of building a wall along our southern border, preventing people from entering our nation and not giving a rip about the conditions on the other side of the wall. Many pro-lifers are more than willing to stand outside of an abortion mill holding signs that say, babies are murdered here, and then paint others with broad brushstrokes, not caring to involve themselves with their stories and making assumptions based on personal prejudices and stereotypes. The question posed to me was, is it not inconsistent at best for someone to do everything they can to advocate for the lives of the unborn while turning either a blind eye or a scoffing eye at victims of modern-day slavery, human trafficking, child prostitution, and the many other horrors that people suffer from in our nation and world? It's a valid question, and if we're to be honest with ourselves, it's a convicting question with a sad answer if we're going to answer honestly, because the answer is yes. These are inconsistencies that are hard to deny and impossible to defend. Inconsistency is a sad part of life on this side of heaven. Now, we do well to live lives that are as consistent as possible with the beliefs and convictions we hold to be true. However, there will be instances such as this where, due to the brevity of our lives and our finite resources and faculties and sometimes our foolishness and pride, we will do well in one area but not without cost in another. What you get in the wine, you lose in the grapes. So with that in mind, knowing the fact that we have but one life to live, and that it is what James tells us is but a vapor, and heeding the words of Moses in Psalm 90 and verse 12 to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, consider the following. If we want to take a stand for the sanctity of human life, if we want to model Christ who advocates for people like you and me who can't advocate for ourselves, Friends, there is no better place to spend time, resources, prayers, blood, sweat, and tears than doing what we can to stop the murdering of the unborn in our nation and world. The numbers simply speak for themselves. Since Roe v. Wade in January of 1973, over 58,586,000 babies have been murdered, and that's just based on what has been reported, approximately 86% of which lost their lives for the sake of convenience. Let's gain a little bit of perspective. The number of babies killed by abortion each year is roughly equal to the number of U.S. military deaths that have occurred in all of the wars that the United States have ever been involved in combined. Approximately 3,000 Americans lost their lives as a result of the destruction of the World Trade Center towers on 9-11. Every single day, 
more than 3,000 American babies are killed by abortion, and that's only in our nation. That doesn't say anything about what happens around the rest of the world. Those of us who are passionate about the sanctity of human life, in order to be consistent, must declare that all lives are sacred. All are created in the image of God, born and unborn. But the number of people who have lost their lives as the result of the murdering of the unborn, having been declared a constitutional right, is staggeringly more than any other group of people who have been or are even suffering now or being murdered. That's not to say they are less important, not at all. However, if one is going to limit their efforts to a few key areas in order to stand up for those who are hopeless and helpless, protecting the lives of the unborn is most definitely a cause that deserves our careful attention, prayers, and action. And that's why with the limited days God has given me to live, I'm choosing to focus as much attention as I can here, hoping and praying to one day not need a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because the cause will be the norm. Finally, today is another day that will certainly live in infamy as President-elect Donald Trump becomes the 45th President of the United States. I don't know who you voted for. I don't know what you're thinking or feeling on this day, and I certainly don't know what the Lord has in store for our country. However, I'll leave you with these two thoughts to consider as we close. First, this is the third presidential inauguration in a row where I will watch someone take the oath of office that I did not vote for. But friends, it is what it is. There's not a single man or woman who ever ascends to any office outside of the sovereign will of Almighty God, who has raised up every leader that ever was to accomplish His will in our lives. And so we accept the results of the election and continue to live lives according to the purpose laid out for us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, to be well-pleasing to Him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't continually cry foul. We don't stomp our feet and throw a temper tantrum. We don't cry because we don't get a participation trophy. And just like the Cleveland Indians didn't demand a game eight, we don't demand something that is simply outside the rules of the game. We move on, seeking to please the Lord with our lives, regardless of who is in the White House. Secondly and finally, as I taught from the book of Hebrews recently at a retreat, I'm reminded of the names listed in chapter 11 in that proverbial hall of faith. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was a liar. Samson was a person with way too much passion. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses had a real problem with anger. Gideon was paralyzed with fear. David was an adulterer and a murderer. God has done greater things with lesser people throughout redemptive history. If you haven't already, start praying now that the same may be said of President Donald J. Trump. Well, that's all for Between the Lines today. Again, I'm Peter LaRuffa. I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time. God bless.